showing up. Hello. This is Emily. And this is Danielle. <laughs> and this is Midwest Madness. I did not know that she'd started, you guys, because she had just been like, hello, hello, to test the mics. And then she just started, and I was very confused. Um, we're True Crime, Cult, Conspiracy, Encrypted Podcast. And uh, it's Emily's turn to tell the story today. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to say really well you just got back from a trip which is nice yeah you sound really happy to be back (laughs) i'm not i hate coming home i know you do so and especially when you don't have any else anything else planned so how dare you we have a trip planned in 582 days yeah we should talk about that because oh boy you're a teacher by then yeah that's true We'll figure it out off yeah. air. Okay. Okay, bye. Anyway. <laughs> um, sorry, I see you here. Okay. Uh, today we are going to be talking about a cult. Ooh. It's yep. been a while. I know. I almost did a cult too. Did you? Yeah. Maybe the same one. Maybe. Um, the cult we're going to be talking about, um, it, they're pretty much referred to as the Seekers. Not the same cult. Oh, but they are also known as the Brotherhood of the Seven Rays. Um, wow, that sounds really shady. Does it? The Brotherhood of the Seven Rays? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, the Seekers were officially formed in 1953 by Michigan State staff physician, Dr. Charles Layhead. I was really expecting his name to be Ray. Um, the leader was 54-year-old Dorothy Martin. What? Yeah. Really? A woman? Yes, a woman. Interesting. She lived in the Chicago area and had a husband who worked while she stayed home. Um, and she's been described as so unremarkable in her daily life that sometimes you wouldn't even notice she was there. Wow, that's... It's kind of brutal. Yeah, that's just pretty <laughs> tough. Um, she was a frail, self-proclaimed psychic who dabbled in Scientology, the IM movement, and dietetics. We don't know much about Dorothy's younger life, though we do know that at some point Dorothy lost her father, and this loss hit her quite hard. It is known in the psych- in psychology that when someone suffers a huge loss, they sometimes turn to religion to help guide them. Um, now this loss and her openness to other religions and groups probably helped lead Dorothy to what she would eventually claim. Um, so really quick, you said the, the I am movement. Yeah. What is that? Do you know? Um, no. Okay. If I knew, I probably would have said it. (laughs) Okay. I didn't look that (laughs) much into it. Because we're not really going to talk about it. Well, because you just like mentioned it and I'd never heard of that. So I was just curious if there was any more info. But if there's not, there's not. No. Okay. Um, Okay. One day in 1953, Dorothy was dozing off when her arm went numb. Now, uh, what do you do when your arm goes numb? Obviously, you grab a pen and paper and start to write. Dorothy claims that her father had possessed her arm and had used the pen to write her a message. The message was telling her to have her mother plant flowers in the garden in the spring. Um, I'm going to read 
uh, Dorothy's account of like what this kind of feels like getting these mess this kind of message. Okay. So she says, "Quote: I felt a kind of tingling or numbness in my arm, and my whole arm felt warm right up to the shoulder." Without knowing why, I picked up a pencil and a pad that were laying on the table near me. My hand began to write in another handwriting. I looked at the handwriting, and it was strangely familiar, but I knew it was not my own. I realized that someone else was using my hand, end quote. She said the messages flowed through her arm, and her arm was possessed by otherworldly beings. Now, obviously, after getting this message, Dorothy was pretty excited i guess i mean i can kind of understand being like oh my god this is so crazy i but like it's all made up but (laughs) yeah but like if you were to believe in because there there is a thing in like the paranormal community called like i think it's called like phantom writing or something like that where you just like clear your mind and then like spirits will control your hand and you can write or something i don't know i don't really get it but if you believed in that and that happened, I think you'd be kind of like, oh my god. Yeah. I don't know what was going on in her mind, but... That's fair. Um, She really believed that her dad had taken over her body. So, obviously, her first thing was to go and tell her mom about it. <laughs> now... How old is she at this point? Sorry. She's old. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Older. That's what I thought. Because um, she's married, so... Now, Dorothy's mom thought that Dorothy was playing a cruel joke on her, and she told her that she didn't want anything to do with her messages. Um, Dorothy was like, cool, Uh, if you don't believe me, I'm going to keep doing it, but that's fine. Um, She's going to keep trying to channel her father, so she does. Um, And so she found that if she kept her mind blank, she was able to channel her father a few more times. Um, She was able to get more and more messages from him, but nothing that was super like groundbreaking or exciting like planting flowers in the spring um she also found that no one was really believing her surprise surprise yeah big shock there uh her mom didn't and her husband didn't either her husband never really told her to stop or anything he was but he was just like he just like didn't really buy into it he was like wow my wife's real bored he's like i support (laughs) you but this is not my thing so um, at this point, Dorothy decided that the only logical thing to do was to push forward and try channeling other messages from other places. Huh. Not too long after the messages from her dad started, Dorothy began getting messages from someone who was called, quote, Elder Brother. According to Dorothy, Elder Brother claimed that he was a higher being from Venus and was sent to help her get better messages from her father. But not too long after she started to get messages from Elder Brother, things began to change. Eventually, messages from her father stopped altogether, and Dorothy started getting messages from another entity called Sananda. 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 I wrote this a while ago, so I, I, I knew the name when I wrote it, but now I'm like questioning myself. But I really wish people could see my face. Sanan- Sananda, I think it is. Because this is insane. Um, and Sananda claimed to be the alien version of Jesus, obviously. Well, yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dorothy stated that her messages were coming from the planet Claron, 
Which uh, where in the solar system is yeah. that, Emily? Because uh, good question. I've heard of Venus and Pluto and yeah. Mars. You would have to ask Dorothy. Um, Sananda became Dorothy's main point of contact contact in the space world, although she still did get messages from Elder Brother every once in a while. These beings would eventually be known as the Guardians. This finally granted Dorothy with a purpose all of her own. Uh, but she did mainly keep the messages to herself after both her husband and mother dismissed her before. She wasn't super comfortable sharing these messages with just anyone, but nonetheless, Dorothy did attend New Age events in her area to try to find people who would possibly connect with her messages. She would match mention in passing her super fun connection with Sananda at these events, um, and people seemed more open and interested in Dorothy's experiences. Had other people also heard of this being, or is this like something that she's the only one who's ever heard of? She's them? the only one who's ever heard of them. Okay. Um, in March of 1954, stories of Dorothy's connections to Sananda reached our good friend Dr. Charles Layhead. So this is where slash how the two met. Okay. Before joining Dorothy, Dr. Layhead was the director of Michigan State University's on-campus Olin Health Center. He had already been following UFO sightings and leading a small group on campus called, quote, Questers, who gathered to discuss extranential, this is such a hard word for me, extraterrestrial life. Oh, yeah. After Dr. Layhead started talking to student patients about the end of the world, the MSU president, John Hanna, stepped in and asked him to resign. Gosh, I wonder why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Charles was married to a woman named Lillian. Uh, the both of them researched New Age ideas and were both very fascinated in UFOs and alien encounters. When Dr. Charles and Dorothy eventually met in person in June of 1954, it was an instant connection. Dr. Charles believed her immediately, pretty much. They were like, you didn't have any questions. Oh my god, besties. Yeah. Um, And the nice thing for Dorothy was, back in Michigan, Dr. Charles had a small group of 12 people that were called the Seekers, who he thought would be very interested in Dorothy's messages so he like already had a following yeah but they were more like you know they weren't like really a cult i would say at this point they were just like interested in other like a like aliens and otherworldly things okay so just kind of like a group of people that were like kind of into this not weird (laughs) into this like offshoot of stuff yeah okay um and he was right. The group of seekers were very interested in Dorothy's connection and messages. Um, as soon as Dr. Charles told the group about her, they pretty much immediately believed everything from both of them. Dorothy and Dr. Charles became fast friends. They visited each other most weekends, and although they grew very close, their relationship never turned romantic. Now, well, they're both married, right? Yeah. Okay. But usually that doesn't matter. In that's calls. that's true. You're not wrong. Now, because of Dorothy's past, she was always reluctant to share her messages, but Dr. Charles always believed her. In the spring of 1954, Dorothy was tasked with spreading the Guardian's messages to the world. Although Dorothy was reluctant to spread these messages, Dr. Charles was all in. 
In May of 1954, Dorothy learned from the Guardians that great numbers of beings from outer space were coming to Earth soon, and when they arrived, there would be war. Okay, so when you, really quick, when you, you say she was tasked, it was not by the doctor, but it was by the people that she was getting the messages from, correct? Yeah, the Guardians. Okay, that's yep. what I thought. I just want to be double sure. Um, and not only was there going to be a war, but most of humanity wouldn't survive. Dope. Yeah. Then the Guardians just peaced out with no solution for the problem. <laughs> so, surprisingly, this message didn't seem to concern Dorothy or her followers because the messages she received oftentimes changed tone. So, she would, like, re-receive a message and then, like, she would receive another one and it would be along the same lines. But it would be like, oh, nothing bad's going to happen now or something. So, it would be like... Your house is going to start on fire, and then it'll be like, there's going to be a fire in your fireplace. Yeah. Something okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. She was like, cool, we're just going to ignore this message for now, because... Why not? Yeah. On July 23rd, 1954, Dorothy received a message from the Guardians that on August 1st, a spaceship would land at a nearby airbase. Um, and they... Was that airbase Area 51? No. <laughs> Okay. Then she this this is when they, she was like, okay, is this like what they told me about before? Like, is this going to be the beginning of the end of the world? Like, okay, what's happening? Um, although Dorothy had this news, she didn't really want to share it with anyone because she was afraid that people would make fun of her and not believe her. Can't Gosh, I wonder why. why. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but she did happen to let the message slip. Just happened to let the message Whoops. slip to Doctor Charles. And now Dr. Charles knew that Dorothy didn't want the information spread, but how could he keep the end of the world possibly to himself? I mean, naturally, how could you right. not? So he told it to a few other believers. On the day of the arrival, Dorothy let 12 people follow her to the airport field. Charles and Lillian were there, um, too. They all waited eagerly at the airfield for something to happen, but after hours of nothing, they decided to take a break for some lunch. Um, that's when something weird happened. Of course it did. Yeah. A strange man approached the group and Dorothy felt strangely, strangely attached to him. So she decided to head to the car and get him some watermelon. When she turned back around, the man was gone. By nightfall, the group had been waiting for a spaceship to arrive all day and they finally gave up hope. For Dorothy, this felt like a complete failure, but... Charles and Lillian told her they felt something important happened. And they were confirmed when Dorothy got a message from Sananda saying he had appeared to her the day before. And with this quick fix to the narrative, the Seekers are back under Dorothy's spell. The... I just can't. Yeah. They continued to make trips to Dorothy's home to hear her messages and on August 27th, 1954, Sananda told Dorothy that the ancient civilization Mu would rise up from the depths of the ocean. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mu? Mu. Like what a cow says. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Great. Uh, when this happened, it would flood the, flood the earth and millions of people would die. Good news for Dorothy and the Seekers, though, because before this happen, would happen, a spaceship would come and save them convenient yeah dorothy quickly told her new followers the message and although they didn't have a date for the new end of the earth her followers looked forward to the future with excitement and nervousness 
Now, you would think that the end of the world by flood would encourage Dorothy to spread her message far and wide. But nope, uh, she was too afraid of failure to do so. I like your, "Mm, but nope. Yeah. (laughs) But not our good friend Charles, obviously. Well, yeah. yeah. He likes to blab. He thought they needed to get the word out about the upcoming doom. Um, Now, because of Dorothy's hesitation, Dr. Charles decided to push her to the side and bring Dorothy's message to the world himself. Him and his wife sent out 50 copies of brochures with Dorothy's messages on it to many different publications. Um, Can you imagine being the reporter that has to, like, read that over? Right. That gets that, and they're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Unfortunately, none of them printed the message. Um, Dr. Charles didn't give up hope, though. A few weeks later, he sent out the same message again, but this time he attached his name to it, and three small papers put the news in the back pages. So, because his... He was a doctor. Yeah. His name had a little bit of weight, I think, in the area. Um, it was able to get published in the back pages. By October of the same year, a date for the flood had finally been told to Dorothy. Um, it would be December 21st, 1954. So the they only had a couple months to prepare at this point. Dorothy didn't seem panicked about the event, though. She was calm in the months leading up. In November, Dr. Charles seemed to have a change in his behavior. This is around the same time that he lost his job. Shocking. Um, And he decided that no new members were going to be allowed to join the Seekers. Dorothy, at this point, feared that she was being watched by police, and she actually refused to leave her her home in the suburbs of Chicago. That's actually a little bit sad. Yeah. Her husband, who was kind of just chilling on the sidelines, got concerned at this point. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah, especially when Dorothy decided she needed to do a three-day fast to bring clarity to her messages. Um, As far as I can tell, though, he didn't really do much about his concerns. He was just concerned. (laughs) He was like, babe, I'm worried. Yeah. And that was kind of helpful. Yeah. (laughs) The Seekers at this point were getting excited and anxious. It was about three weeks to December 21st at this point, and they assumed they would be saved well before the date of the flood. But each day that got they got more and more nervous they trusted dorothy and the guardians but a lot of them were getting scared they were somehow going to be left behind um to better prepare a lot of the seekers quit their jobs and actually moved in with dorothy most days after that were spent waiting around while dorothy was receiving more and more messages a lot of members severed ties with the outside world and started to prepare to live in space As the deadline approached, the Seekers started to get ready. At this point, Dorothy told them they needed to discard all the metal in their clothes. She didn't tell them much other than the metal would overheat as soon as they got aboard the spaceships. So her followers began to cut all the metal and out of their clothing and sewed everything up with patchwork or just had like holes in their clothes. So this made them all stick out like sore thumbs. (laughs) Yeah, naturally. Yeah. And all of them did it super quick because they didn't know when the ship was coming to take them away. So they didn't want the ship to come and them yeah. to still have metal yeah. on them. So um, not long after this, the press finally got a hold of the story. On December 16th, the reporters gathered outside of Dorothy's home. Dr. Charles had finally brought them in when he got fired from his job for his beliefs. Um, I think they like 
it was like a big story of why he got fired. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why like a doctor and like person that worked at a university yeah. is yeah. believing all this crazy shit. Yeah. Like yeah, that would make probably make headlines today too. Probably. Um at this point, Dr. Charles and Dorothy didn't trust the media. They didn't think they had the people's best interest at heart. And they didn't want to save people. They just wanted eye-catching headlines. The press did. Yeah. Uh, with the press outside, though, many people in the area began to gather as well to see what the doomsday cult was about. Uh, by December 17th, people began calling and stopping by Dorothy's house nonstop to hear what the messages were and to learn as much as they could. The seekers answered everyone the best they could, but no one was allowed inside of the house. That's fair. A lot of people were playing jokes on Dorothy and the Seekers, though, at this point. Um, That's sad. Yeah. One going as far as to call the house and introduce himself as Captain Video, telling Dorothy that the Seekers should go outside at 4 o'clock. Dorothy, thinking this was a guardian, told her followers the message. Anyone who hadn't cut metal out of their clothes at this point did as fast as they could, and at 4, they all headed into the backyard. But when 4 came and went, nothing happened. Dorothy flipped the script again and told her followers that the whole thing had been a drill to see if they would actually be ready for when the time came. Huh. Just very convenient how yes. yeah. the messages always change to fit the narrative. Um, and again, her followers believed her. So when she told them that at midnight on the 17th they would be saved, they all bundled back up and went outside to await the spaceships. By 3 a.m., though, most of the followers were frozen and nothing had happened, so they all gave up and went back inside. This seemed to have changed something in Dorothy, though. The next morning, instead of turning visitors away, she welcomed anyone who came inside. Over the next two days, the Seekers waited for the spaceship and Dorothy preached her message to anyone who would listen. At this point, though, the time to be saved was getting shorter and shorter. On December 20th, the day before this flood the group gathered inside dorothy's kitchen and they were getting nervous they really thought that they were gonna be left behind and die in this like flood yeah thankfully makes sense yes at right at this moment though dorothy got a message that right at midnight again a spaceship would appear and take them all aboard i'm shocked that her message wasn't oh just kidding the world's not ending right i don't yeah Saving them for real this time. So, as the night came, the men and women sat inside waiting for midnight. At 11.59, they watched the clock tick down to midnight. One follower looked outside to see if the spaceship was there to save them, but nothing happened. No spaceship, no flood. At this point, one person just straight up left. Good for them. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, I'm done. This is bullshit. They're like, this is the last straw. <laughs> um, I'm tired. It's you. You got tired and you're like, screw this. I want to go to bed. Right. <laughs> um, so hours were passing. Dorothy was crying and others in the group were arguing about the prophecy. Um, thankfully, though, when dawn broke, Dorothy again had a new message. The Guardians decided to spare Earth for now. So the Seekers had more time to pre- to spread the, the, the message. Um, of course, when the world didn't end on the 21st, reporters needed to hear Dorothy and Dr. Charles' side of the story. Naturally. And Dorothy and Dr. Charles gladly told them all about Dorothy's messages. So, 
not only did something change where she was like letting people into the house and like preaching and stuff yeah they now begin to like trust the media at this point interesting but they were told that they need to get the message out so maybe that's why Hmm. um but by december 23rd public interest in the story faded and the reporters packed up and left now on december 23rd as well there was a new prophecy um at 6 p.m on christmas eve a flying saucer would come and save them all the seekers were grasping at straws at this point clearly they were just hoping something they were being told would be true so when dorothy told them that at 6 p.m on christmas eve they needed to go outside and sing christmas carols they didn't hesitate the group gathered outside and started caroling they looked up to the sky and sang this of course led to a lot of people coming outside and to watch and i mean i would yeah see what was going on (laughs) what is happening uh why is a doomsday alien cult singing carols outside uh great question (laughs) um at one point the number of onlookers reached about 200 people and i'm sure you can guess what happened um can i go for nothing (laughs) the night wound down People left to go spend the holidays with their families, and no flying saucer came to save the Seekers. Ugh. What a bummer. The truth finally dawned on Dorothy's followers. She was a fraud. The words she spoke were now meaningless. Dorothy was even had even had a warrant put out for her arrest. For what? Um, they're not 100% sure, but they're assuming public nuisance. Oh. For, like, causing that big of a yeah. crowd in a scene. I suppose. Um, after this, the group disbanded and Dorothy fled to Arizona. Um, we don't know for sure if her husband followed. But, like, also, like, shout out to, to her husband to just for just, like, going with it. Like, right. Oh, that's just Dorothy. <laughs> like, well, I'm just going to let all of her followers live in my house and whatever. Yeah. What a supportive husband. Yeah. Um... Dr. Charles was still a firm believer for a while, though, and he actually spoke about the Guardians at UFO conventions around the country. Um, One interesting thing that comes from this story is that the University of Minnesota, a University of Minnesota psychology professor, caught wind of the cult and actually sent four people to infiltrate the group. Oh my god, no way. Yeah, they all joined the group undercover and studied them. Um, and this is actually where the cognitive dissonance theory comes from. Interesting. So cognitive dissonance is when two actions or ideas are not, not psycho- psychologically consistent with each other. People do all in their power to change them until they become consistent. The discomfort is triggered by the person's belief clashing with new information perceived with wherein the individual tries to find a way to resolve the contradiction to reduce the discomfort so like when she would make a message and then she would change the message to fit what actually happened yeah that's basically cognitive dissonance okay um the psychologist leon festinger published two books one called quote when prophecy fails and one called quote a theory of cognitive dissonance um about their findings not too long after the group disbanded dorothy never stopped believing in her messages um this is when she also oh by the way sorry she also started to go by sister thedra at this point so she no longer was dorothy sister thedra yeah so she's living in um 
Arizona, going by Sister Thedra, still believing in her messages, still, like, doing all her new age shit. I mean, I that's, don't know. <laughs> that's, uh, some real dedication. Yeah. I guess. Um, although Dorothy didn't have a direct hand in other groups, uh, her actions laid the foundation for, um, more UFO cults like Heaven's Gate here in the United States. And that is the story of the Seekers. That's definitely not a legacy I would like to have. Right. <laughs> um, Yikes, man. That That's really interesting. I know. I was surprised I never heard of that one. Yeah, me either. Um, My... Sources? Yep. www.lansingcitypulse.com www.chicagomag.com www.chicagomag.com theatlantic.com wikipedia.org and the christmas rapture episode on the supernatural podcast cool and that is my story i liked it good one thanks sorry i just kind of like read through it but it was 12 pages so holy cow yeah i wanted to get through it yeah so it was good because i could just sit here and stun to disbelief the entire time right i because like what else do you say other than like holy shit <laughs> the whole time you know <laughs> it's just very interesting what people will believe i guess yeah but that, teach their own i guess that's yeah that's at least kind of fair as far as cults go it's one of our more kind tame of like a more yeah like i mean kind of like a uh, house of david pretty tame yeah she, I mean, people quit their jobs and cut all the metal out of their clothing, but, and it's also like very quick. Like the story started in 1953 and was done by 1954. So, so clearly she did not know she didn't she how to do, do a like, slow burn. Yeah, lengthen that thing out. <laughs> we went right for the rapture. Yeah, so good for her. That I don't think. Obviously, she's not still alive, but. Yeah, she like pretty much just lived out the rest of her life. As Sister Thedra. Thedra. Yep. I was going to say Thena, and I was like, no, that's not weird enough. Yep. So there we go. Cool. Um, our socials are Midwest Madness Group um, on Facebook, MW Madness Podcast on Instagram, and that is also our Gmail. Yep. Um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a week for him. It hasn't been a week. I just have been up since three twenty. That yeah. A.M. So, just a long day. So. Yep. All right, guys. But it was a busy week too. But, yeah. So we uh, will talk to you next Tuesday. Bye.